Hello and welcome to Let's Talk Robotics. I'm your host, Nikki Rousseau, and it's my pleasure to introduce you to the robotics community in Australia. Today, it's a big honor to be introducing Greg Peters. He's the principal product engineer at Lang O'Rourke. Lang O'Rourke is, of course, a major sponsor of Robotics Australia Group, so it's a double honor um, to have Greg here and uh, representing Lang O'Rourke. Greg, welcome and thanks for joining me today. Well, thank you for having me. It's an absolute pleasure and an honour to be here. Thank you. Um, you've got a master's degree in engineering management. Tell me about your current role and a little bit about your career background. Okay. So um, at Langer Rock, I'm the field robotics and automation lead within our technology and innovation group. For those who don't know, Langer Rock is a multinational construction and engineering company. Uh, in Australia, we focus on the roads and rail infrastructure projects, you know, uh, projects at the rail interface and for the Department of Defence, as well as we're exploring areas in renewables. And our mission is to uh, enhance the opportunities for robotics in construction, um, both adopting things that's ready now and, and progressing the story. You mentioned I have a master's in engineering. So I also have a Bachelor of Mechanical and Mechatronic Engineering um, from University of Technology way back in 2009, I think I graduated. And, you know, the robotics world has evolved a lot in those 15 to 18 years. You know, if I think about when I go to places like that now and the facilities and what you can get your hands on for such little money now and tinker with and play, I'm just so jealous um, of of what they have. Um, and yeah, like I've had a very uh, interesting and diverse career for a roboticist that's sort of taken me around the world. And um, I've now, I guess, a bit more in the corporate space. Don't get my hands quite as dirty anymore, but uh, I've got to play background and understand what it's like. <laughs> So um, you also do a little bit of a casual academic to the University of Technology, Sydney. What inspires you about the next generation coming through? And do you tell them, you know, when I started my mechatronics uh, degree, there was nothing like this available? <laughs> yeah, I, so I used to, I've done quite a lot with the university over the years. I, I think, um, you know, it's really important to give the, the next generation, I don't feel like my generation's done yet either, but um, I feel it's really important to give them opportunities. And I've been very lucky over the years to be asked back a few times, you know, little stories about what I, yeah, you know, I, I started at the university um, in my final year, my degree. So I had my undergraduate thesis project and that was a climbing, I uh, had this idea, what if a robot could climb the Sydney Harbour Bridge? You know, what would that take? And I had a, a shoestring budget, maybe maybe $500 or something like that from the university and the rest was mine uh, and off you go. And these days, just the act of making servo motors move back and forth is, you know, go buy an Arduino or something, type in servo and it's done. But back then it was not quite assembly language, but it was more complicated. Um, but I managed to build it and I, you know, I literally stole a, a locker from someone's, uh, the door from someone's locker to make as my metal structure. And I got to present it and I was really lucky to actually win uh, the best thesis prize. And as a result of that, I kind of got an offer to work at this robotics institute that the university was running. And I didn't really appreciate it at the time, but it was one of these first world-leading multi-university Australian research centres. So it was University of Technologies um, Research Institute, which is its current name, ACFR, so at Sydney University and UNSW at the time. And immediately I got into this role as a graduate um, where I was asked to 
you know, if you're a, a master's, a researcher for by PhD um, or postdoc, you're probably working on some really specific thing, like how to make a robot grip a door handle and turn it. And they need a robot to do that. And so my job was to build all these robots and machines. Um, and I got to work on such interesting problems. I, uh, I didn't realize how lucky I was at the time. We were building exoskeletons that were being used for stroke rehabilitation and learning about how like musculoskeletal systems interact safely with robots and how do you build a machine. We built stair climbing wheelchairs, mind control wheelchairs. Autonomous cars weren't a thing yet, but we were in the DARPA Grand Challenge and I was mounting LIDARs to roofs of cars using roof racks that we got at Super Cheap Auto. We got a robot that gave a can of Coke to Julia Gillard right before she became prime minister and it dropped it on her foot. Um, you know, like we were doing all this random stuff, um, really, really interesting research. And it felt very low key at the time, but actually, you know, as a foundation for a young person in their career, it was fantastic. And then we had this massive industry project with the RTA. Um, so Sydney, New South Wales's road authority to put robots onto the Sydney Harbour Bridge to remove um, the old paint. And there's this bit of a, an old um, adage, for, I think it's from Crocodile Dundee, um, that he was a bridge painter and that they just paint it, they finish and they paint it, start again. It's not quite true, but what, what was true was that something like the bridge has been painted and painted and painted to the point that it's actually got really heavy from the paint alone. And that paint, unfortunately, what makes a great paint is not necessarily great for humans if you're going to remove it. Uh, it's got things like red lead in it, hazardous dust. So there's this process called sandblasting where people hold a big rubber nozzle and they shoot really high pressure air through that nozzle and they inject an abrasive and it can cut through steel and you hold that nozzle um, and you take away the old paint. And we were looking to build a robot that could uh, automate that process. I think that was like a 10 year project at the university level, you know, PhDs, um, you know, friends of the podcast that have been interviewed before have been on here for that. I got to work on the nitty gritty details of like, how do you make this machine work? I remember vividly being like under the Sydney Harbour Bridge on the scaffolding that is set up. It's shaking from every time a train goes over. There's a pile of the abrasive that's been consumed and I'm sitting there with a multimeter and oscilloscope trying to fix a rotary encoder, you know, in this environment while I'm wearing my hazmat suit and thick gloves. And I actually really like that. It's, it's horrible. It's stressful at the time, but I really liked it. And um, eventually we successfully did that. We got to commercialize it and I uh, started, went across to the startup where we tried to commercialize that system. It was called Sabre. And I ended up doing that exact same role in other countries now. And I was, you know, on top of, suddenly you're on top of a water tower in the middle of Missouri um, yet again, tinkering with something, trying to make something like a robot that actually can be turned on, you know, click of a button, we're good to go. So um, that has been the foundation of my career is sort of this master of, I can't remember the saying, but you know, the you, you do everything in a startup from marketing, social media, yeah. the, the finances. I think I did everything other than software, basically. <laughs> um, and uh yeah, then I moved on to Kennard's High, which was a, an equipment rental company where we really worked on innovation, I suppose, not just products. So we invented a lot of products, but lots of innovations and business process. And now I'm back here in robotics again at Langer Rock. That's what a, a, sort what of a trajectory. Yeah, what a trajectory. Of course, you're referring to Professor Dikalu, who has mm -hmm. been on my podcast. So you were working with Dikai with all these. Um, he was, these... yep. Dikai Speed was my <laughs> thesis sponsor, my project sponsor. 
I, I, I still work with Dickai today. We're always looking at how we can make an industry project. Um, you know, he's been a tremendous influence on my career today. Yes, and um, Sir Roth Karakoda is also yes. there at the at the lab. So shout out to both of them. <laughs> yeah, it was really nice to. We, they had their Robotics Institute launch recently, and I, I came along, and it was so great to see uh, so many of them that were still there, but also ones that had gone off and had made careers in Silicon Valley and things like that, and had come back. Um, yes. You know, that's the brain drain rarely uh, reverses, but it was yeah. great to see them back. And, you know, the facilities are a million times better than what we had when I was there. Um, I wish I could do my time again. Yeah, I actually had a tour after it was actually officially opened by Minister Husek and um, Sue Kay was there, obviously the chair of Robotics Australia Group. And it was quite a big, um, it was a very nice opening last year. Yeah. Uh, and uh because I know so many people there, so I'm a bit biased to yes, but I've seen some of these projects that, you know, they're monsters of projects, right? They take so long um, to mature. I think maybe industry doesn't always appreciate like how much is involved in maturing something like this, particularly when you're solving a problem at the, the way academia tends to solve a problem is very much at the the grassroots, the general problem, um, not the quick make it work once, you know, and I understand that, and because it, we had to do that with our sandblasting robot, like it, we solved the problem for how to blast a bridge. But I want to do a water tank now, or I want to do something. And today it's here, tomorrow it's there. Um, you know, that's inventing a product. It, yeah. It's so much work, and then it comes in all the stuff like Australian standards, international standards, user manuals, translating that manual into another language. It, I have tremendous respect for anyone who's working in that space and has the mental capacity to sort of still think outside the box and not get bogged down with like, oh, this is. Yeah, I can't do this. Yeah. Yeah. So tell me, when you go back and you talk to the students, obviously um, this is something that's fascinated me because generally speaking, academics, you know, I could be wrong here. They they have an academic career. They don't mm -hmm. really get the opportunity to go out into industry, experience things and then come back. And I think it's such an invaluable insight that you bring to these kids that are studying that this is what you can do, but potentially all these things I've done out there. So are they, are they enormously grateful for your insights? That's probably more. <laughs> no. Oh, look, uh, I, no one's ever walked up to me and said that that was, that was terrible. Um, you know, so don't know. Uh, and I haven't had no. got an opportunity to do one of those lectures for a while, but you know, we have interns, we'll hire graduates, we'll put industry sponsored projects. Um, we get involved with the alumni and try to steer the direction of, you know, so the, the university is often asking the industry, uh, you know, are we delivering the skills that you need? What mm -hmm. what would you do differently? They've been looking, I know, at least at UTS, at, at how they make it a bit more like you have these industry workshops where you um, are working towards a solution, a bit like a fashion design graduate will have, you know, their masterpiece every season that they're working towards. Um, so I don't know if I don't know if anyone ever is like grateful for that, right? But um, I, I do. Uh, last last week I was presenting in Melbourne, and I had a number of early career sort of graduate people come up to me and ask me like, "What what career? Will, I'm a mechatronics major, or I'm a master's in this. You know, what robotics jobs can I get?" And I think I'm always sort of saying, "Look, you know, the reality is there aren't a thousand different robotics companies in Australia where you can easily walk into, but at the same time." There's all these tangential opportunities that build and build and unlock. And I think, I think we're in a good place for that.
I have to agree with you. Um, I, I didn't mention this is episode 141 today that we're covering off. And I actually spoke to Xavier or the CEO and co-founder of Advanced Navigation last mm-hmm. week. And he said to me, currently, Sydney is ranked third in the world for people looking for robot assistant things. So that's, mm. quite, that's quite a fascinating stat. Well, I think, you know, so when I started my degree, which was 2004, mechatronics wasn't in the dictionary. And throughout my entire degree, when you typed it into Word, you got the red squiggly line underneath it because it didn't exist as a as a word yet officially. Yeah. And we used to have to always explain to people, like, mechatronics is a Venn diagram of mechanical, computer systems and electrical, and people would struggle to think what that is. And I was like, oh, microwave. Think about a microwave, you know, you know. I don't think we need to explain to anyone anymore like what robotics is. Um, yeah. But I do think Australia to date has very much been an integrator economy. So that's where mechatronics, in my opinion, serves us quite well because we can, you have this, you may not be getting to go and invent a brand new ultrasonic sensor at the grassroots. So I have friends who, for instance, work at BMW in Germany. They might have a hundred postdoctoral research fellows, you know, 20 of them working on the ultrasonic sensors for your reversing park- parking, right? We, we aren't in general doing that in Australia, um, not many places at least. But what we are very good at is, um, okay, when you want to make this system, we need to adapt this to this to this to this. Let's integrate those things together. And that's really now always digital, always mechatronic. And that is increasingly becoming AI, you know, image recognition systems, complicated systems, safety critical systems. So I think we're in a good place for that sort of multifaceted. Yeah. You mentioned you worked across the world. Give me one project that stands out and why does it stand out for you? Uh, yeah, it's, it's, I've so, yeah, I, I spent a lot of time in the USA and a lot of time in places like Europe. I remember being in Georgia, USA. It was the first time, you know, if you picture an American, America has water towers like we don't have here. Yeah. Every town has a water tower. They look like a big golf tee, basically in a golf ball sitting on top. And we were there to try to make the robot work in the water tower environment because, um, people have to climb through a tiny little manhole. And actually the manhole, uh, I've put on a bit of weight now. I think I'd struggle to get through the manhole. Uh, if I was wearing the personal protective equipment, the manhole, I definitely couldn't. So you actually have to take it off to get in, which is in itself a conflict with safety policy. Yeah. Then they get inside. It's stinking hot, right? You're in in the Midwest in summer. You're way up in the sky. It's a steel coffin. It's really hot inside. So they actually pump cool air into your suit from a compressed airline. And you're doing this really labor-intensive job. So we were putting the robot in there to see if we could move from bridges to inside the tanks. And it's not just a smooth surface. There's all structural steel all over the place. Uh, and we're on this rickety platform. And I had never at that point basically done a working from heights job. Um, and suddenly it's, right, here's the harness. I hope you fit enough because you're going to have to climb 30 <laughs> meters up this ladder. Hope you're not afraid of heights. Um, we got there. We got up to the top. The person I was working with, uh, the state we were in was a was a um, an open carry for firearms, and so the guy's on the top of the water tower with a gun <laughs> because it's his right to have that gun. Of course. Uh, and I remember talking to him about like what 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 scenario do we you know, need this? You know, and it was just such a strange moment for me. I'm I'm standing at the top of this tower in another country. You're under all this tremendous pressure to make this system work. You've got this. You know, you've flown to another country. You've 
we'd been dealing with this stupid connector that I couldn't get to work properly, you know, and, and I'm standing at the top of this tower with a guy uh, looking at this beautiful view. He's got a gun. Um, and then we got to get him down the hole and get the job done. Um, and that just stuck with me. I, we did so many random things um, going into other cities. As a startup, you're chasing the opportunity without, you can't afford to pivot. Yeah, And so, you you know, there's this tremendous cost as a startup to attending site, to having this chance. You really don't want to stuff it up. But at the same time, you know, you can't follow every dream. You're really hoping this pans out. Um, and then when things start to go wrong and you're in the middle of nowhere and your supply chain's not there, you don't know, where can I get this part? Um, yeah, those sorts of things have stuck with me forever. <laughs> I hope you got it to work. Yeah, we did. I mean, it's yeah. always one of those uh two steps, three steps forward, one yeah. step back. Um, you know, if I had my time again, sure, I would have probably rehearsed, practiced more, asked more questions. But, um, you know, <laughs> the next thing you know, two weeks later, you're in France inside some um, dry dock where they've pulled the gates out and then you're climbing inside that one and doing something else, <laughs> yeah. right? So, And you've got fit enough in the process. <laughs> yeah. So how would you characterize the state of the art of robotics and construction in Australia? And what are good examples, if any, being utilized here? Why, I guess, first, like, why does Langer Rock want um, robotics is probably where we, a good segue to that, right? So construction has an ever-increasing amount of work, but at the same time, we're struggling to get the people to do the jobs. And we have increasing complexity in what we're doing. And at the same time, we've got this horrible statistic that um, our productivity has stagnated. And by some accounts, McKinsey says we've actually only increased 1% since 1945. But you look at other industries like automotive, um, agriculture, where they're adopters of robotics and automation, and they're at 8x, 16x, you know, year on year productivity growth. And frankly, we need ways to be able to deliver more with the people we have and ways to introduce and make this job more interesting for more people. So robotics and automation are a great way that can help with that. And so I've spent the last year looking at just where we're at. What is robotics and automation in construction? What are some examples of it? What can we already do? What's still sci-fi? Um, and what's, what is probably a pipe dream at this point in time? And so you know, broadly, there's kind of two things in construction. There's Construction automation at the factory. Construction build a lot of things in factories, we, in prefabrication, a lot of mature automation there, concrete batching, placing steel and timber elements, you know, allowing us to do bespoke build, but at a highly automated way. And then there's the field robotics. And the field robotics is probably the one that's a bit more exciting, but comes with a whole heap of challenges. Um, and... The mature stuff is things like drones. Drones, 20 years ago, most people hadn't seen one. Now we use them every day. And they're increasingly semi-autonomous and autonomous. And really the thing that's holding us back now is probably more legislation and permitting and having to say it's definitely safe to do this than the tech itself. We have little robots that drive around and do things like GPS position controlled, marking, surveying, um, we have things that are trying to push the boundaries there. And then you've got this entire ecosystem of startups that are solving really hard problems where there is repetition. So it might be painting, it might be bricklaying, might be concrete 3D printing. There's entire suburbs now in the US that have been 3D printed. You know, you can move into your 3D printed home. 
And then we've got the big yellow things you see on construction site, the civil plants. We don't call those robots, but so many of them have a semi-autonomous layer where they can um, control the level that you're going to dig to. They can do repetitious motion automatically for you. The mining industry have well and truly matured teleoperation and fleet control, like one operator controlling four. It's a bit of a different environment compared to construction, but they're starting to bring that into our sector. Um, so there's a heap out there. I think the big push now is going to be on human robotic teaming where people are awesome. So a lot of the complexity is too complex for automation. We need to find ways where people and robots working together where they're each giving each other a back ride, you know, like the robot's really good because it's strong and precise and can do repetitious work. The human's really good because they have the the subject matter expertise, the knowledge, and they work together to deliver a solution. I think we're going to have to do that if we want to solve the really complex problems of construction. Um, I love the start of your talk, which um, just prior to us hitting the record button, you've mentioned that um, you're going to be editing and it will be available hopefully on Robotics Australia's website as well as other places. So look out for that. But you started your talk and you really, I think, just had everyone's imagination because you said, imagine a world where the robots are doing this and your robot's doing that. You can talk a little bit more about it. Mm -hmm. Basically, all these things already happen. And as you've mentioned, it's just a degree of to what the degree in Australia to what it is. And that's around um, the, the legislation. Legislation and ability. To, so I think what, what has changed is construction. I think they tend to call it Contech, right? Contech as a sector is getting a lot of investment finally. Mm-hmm. Um, construction while we say construction has had low productivity, that doesn't mean there hasn't been tremendous change. Um, it was not long ago that construction was not digitized. You know, we didn't have digital photo capability because we didn't have that technology, right? Our plans weren't digitized, et cetera. So we now are in a world of digital construction. We have the internet bandwidth to do it. We have the cloud processing to do it. For the robotics, we now have the cloud or the, or the edge compute capability. And we're we're still playing catch up with all of this tremendous amount of change. There are people in this building that I'm in right now that remember a world of construction where you might take a photo of the site, go get it developed, bring it back, put it in a scrapbook, pull out your big drafting board, make some changes, right? Like that's not that long ago. And now we're in augmented reality, digital realms. You know, we do multi-dimensional construction planning where might someone says, oh, can we tweak the sustainability of that? And the entire process will have to adapt and schedule. So tremendous amount of change. What that has brought those, I think we're finally ready. You know, we have the background capabilities to handle robotics because if I put someone in an excavator and say, right, dig it down to this height, um, That person knows how to do that job. So if we're going to use robots to do that, we either need to teach the robot how to do all of the steps in between, or we need to plan every step like a CNC machine. And what we finally are at is a point where we have a digital twin of the existing site. We have a really good level of detail model of where we want to get to. So we have what's needed to get into place. We have all that processing power and everything we need. But you mentioned safety regulations and that sort of thing. So, you know, it's all well and good to say, let's set up an autonomous uh, trial site somewhere that's nice and safe in the middle of nowhere. But the types of projects we do, sometimes hundreds of people on site, um, each 
independently doing what they need to get done. They're, it's like organized chaos. You know, they're all doing their thing, working in close proximity to each other. Safety is a high priority. If we go and chuck a robot in there right now, that's potentially going to make it a lot more dangerous. And so we don't have the safety systems yet. And I think the biggest leaders in this space are really worried about that and are will, not willing to let the industry try it because they're worried about the legal liability and ramifications. And so we are working with sort of how do we solve that problem? And and does that mean putting them on our sites and making opportunities? Does that mean putting them more in safe development zones? You know, how do you progress that technological maturity level without putting people at risk? I think that touches on something that I was going to raise with you because the technology is there. Are we ready for the technology? Mm. That's, you know, are we ready to um, go and say, yes, it is risky, but we're going to trial it. We're going to put stuff in place to um, mitigate issues. But, yeah, there must be something going forward. Yeah, and I think a really important part of that is people, right? Um, yeah. Yeah, automation has always had this tricky place where people are scared of change and the unknown. And the reality of everything I've done in my robotics career has never been an easy robot to just roll out. Um, so it's about working with the people who actually are experts in this job and understanding how it's going to work. Um, how can we use this together to make everyone's life easier? You know, there's a big change management piece to robots. It's just also, it's very rare that we go from zero to a hundred, right? We're not suddenly showing up and saying, here's this new thing, off we go. We're starting at zero and we need to bring them along the way. And that, what that does is one, it does show them, hey, this thing's really not ready yet. Um, or this thing's good, but only in these really limited situations. And that's not enough to build a business case. But at the same time, that provides some confidence and understanding of, you know, what are the limits of what this machine can do? What's it good at? What it's not good at? And if it doesn't make a good business case, well, what would it take? And, and that clarity is really important also for the robotic ecosystem. Yeah. Langer Rock has been a sponsor and supporter of Robotics Australia Group for many years. So again, thank you. Um, including the Robotics Australia Roadmap. So we've got the 2018 and 22 edition and uh, this year is a big project for us. Why is it important for Langer Org to be advancing the use of robotics in construction? Yeah, so I think a lot of it's the stuff we kind of touched on. There's, yeah. there's these big these big wins that we need to solve, the, the job market, the, the scale, the timing's right. Um, I think we also, we recognise we can't do this alone. Um, you know, so... We're a one of the big tier, what we call tier ones in construction in Australia. There, there's only a few that can take on the biggest projects, but we rely on an entire army of subcontractors and, and businesses. Those businesses are not necessarily in the position to be able to be angel investors or part of venture capital plays or sponsoring major government and university industry partnership programs, right? So you, know, you do need to do some level of thought leadership as a mature business to, to push this forward. If we want these things to exist, we need to be able to explain to the community what are the problems. It's There's just not that many people who are super experienced construction people, passionate about robotics, and have gone off and started a robotics business. And as an industry, there's a lot of challenges to getting people onto our sites and, and giving them that experience. Some of those challenges I'd probably say are a bit artificial and we need to do better to, to ensure people are coming on. So I think we recognize that we need to start this conversation 
Robotics is a really important part of Australia's technology capability, our sovereign capability. It has a massive place in construction. Construction is a massive industry. And if you develop a solution for the Australian construction environment, it's not that hard to export that technology into the foreign market because the way we build here is, is just as complicated as anywhere. Those are all good things. It's just very easy for us to say, oh, it's all too hard. Come back to us when it's ready and we'll use it. And if you're in the robotics ecosystem, that just doesn't help. Yeah, I agree with you. So you're here to talk about an initiative called the Australian Construction Robotics Forum. Very excited about this. Um, tell our audience what it is and what's its purpose. So, I mean, so at, at its heart, um, when I started at Langer Rock, it's very hard to know who are the people like me in construction. I suspect it's only a handful that, you know, we're not a huge country. My experience of things like Robotics Australia Group, everyone knows everyone, you know, the LinkedIn connections are probably at most third degree, probably second degree. We need to create a professional network of people that you, we can say, oh, you want to do this? Talk to them. So we're looking at ways that we can bring our industry together in sort of a non-competitive, you know, alliance type method. We also happen to work with each other a lot um, all the time. Big mega projects tend to be alliances where we have shared packages of work. And so if you were being someone, I don't know, who wanted to develop and test autonomous haulage, you know, it's a far better opportunity for them to come and say, all of you people are working on this project together here in Melbourne, and there's another project up in Brisbane, and there's one in New South Wales. I'd love to be able to talk to you all and see how we can use that as a pipeline of work. And so at the moment, it's quite hard to say, yeah, you need to talk to this person, this person, this person. So we're trying to build that. I guess that doesn't directly affect most of the people on the, on the podcast, but it, it has flow on effects for our industry. We want to be able to then share that um, with the industry. And I think we need to, at the same time, try to solve a lot of the access problems. Like, how do you get access to our industry? How do you, What standards do we need to develop? How can we create an opportunity for someone to come and test on our sites during these mega projects and it be financially beneficial to everyone? Um, in the end, often we're building infrastructure for the federal government or for state governments. It's for the people. These are often Australian businesses. How do we make sure that that opportunity exists. When's the first meeting and where is it going to be? Well, probably going to be in a, in about a month's time uh, and we'll, we'll host it here at Langer Rock, but um, yeah, the, we'll, we'll send invites out. We've got to start small. Um, you know, that's why we're, we're, we're sponsoring Robotics Australia Group as well. That way we can get involved in the, the community side of things. We're working with academics to look at industry projects and sponsoring, you know, grassroots research. We're looking at the from within our construction um, peers is how we can build that. And um, yeah, I think it's going to take that to get our community thriving. And we're a bit of an industry that tends to not tell anyone what we're doing. So there's a good chance. <laughs> yeah, there's a good chance there's a lot going on and we just don't know about it. And um, we're hoping to let people feel comfortable in sort of semi-private closed settings to, to start to build it. I think ultimately my goal is I'd love to be able to say, People use Australia as the, like, yes, if you want to get this up and running, use Australia as a great way to develop that product, whether they're an Australian business or a foreign business, that they come here and use us as a fantastic launch pad and that they see that as a great return on investment. Whereas at the moment, if they're foreign, they see that as a big expense to get over here 
you know, what's the repeat sales opportunity, the venture capital markets in another country. I just saw an article yesterday where um, an, a bricklaying company, robotic bricklaying company just raised 22, 25 million US dollars. You can't currently raise that level of money in Australia, but it's not going to change if we don't have a reason for it to change. We need to build that cottage industry and we'll do our part. We can't do it all, but we'll, we'll do what we can. Of course. And you know what, this is, this is how we build the industry literally is small initiatives that start, you have to start some way and you build on it. Yeah. Look, I think the startup that I was part of, we were very lucky to get some Oz industry at the time funding to, to help develop that. We partnered with an angel investor who saw was in that industry and saw the power, you know, saw the future and was passionate about it. We would never have qualified for venture capital or that sort of money. I think we would have been far better off had we had that big, deep pocket. But at the same time, you know, with big money comes big, big risk and reward. Uh, if you can at the same time say, I've got this major client who, you know, maybe they're not necessarily providing you a check, but they're saying, we believe in the vision of this business. We're going to use it on this and this and this. That can open up some massive doors where you would never have even got a foot in the door. Because unfortunately, when you come to a big um, business, the maturity of your product and service and, and its maturity to actually deliver, you know, that's a big hurdle and that's a really limiting hurdle. I'm mindful of your time, Greg. Any closing thoughts that you'd like to leave the audience with? Oh, look, come say hello. Um, you know, that's why we're we're doing these sorts of things where and why, you know, the easiest way to to do that would probably be to come along to something like the Robotics Australia Group sessions. Um, if you're in construction and this is interesting to you, well, you're taking the first step by listening to this. So good on you. Reach out. We'd love to hear what's your idea, you know, not just I have an idea for a robot that I business that I'm building, but like I've got this problem and I'd love to share it with the industry. If you're thinking about joining the construction sector, I think the I probably forgot to mention it, but I I'm not a civil engineer. My entire team, I think we maybe have one civil and structural engineer. You know, construction these days as a career is we have machine learning engineers, digital engineers. We've got a user UX designer. We have someone from the fashion and garment industry. We have chemical engineers. You know, construction now is such a multifaceted um, industry. It's a bit like mining was, you know, mining used to be hardcore, you know, coal face work. And now there's all sorts of professions in that industry. It's the same here. So if that's, if that's the bucket you're in, definitely consider it as a career and, um, you know, reach out. Fantastic. And where is the best place for people to reach you? Probably LinkedIn is probably the easiest. So if they look up Greg Peters, Langer Rock or something like that, they can find me. Um, if not, um, I'm happy for them to reach out to me via the Relics Australia group as well. I'm a friendly person. <laughs> Fantastic. I'm going to put it all in the show notes. Greg, thanks so much for your time. Really appreciate it. Thank you. Thank you, everyone. Thank you to our audience for joining us today. Um, I hope you're well wherever you are in the world. I hope you enjoyed this episode. Any questions, do reach out to Greg, especially about the Australian Construction Robotics Forum that's coming up. And I hope to have you join me again next week, same time. Mm -hmm.